Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian! Did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No Oh man, he had it coming. I knew this was gonna happen. He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful. I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh huh? Well, anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. Hey, we are in the book of, and chapter, oh, you guys got it wrong, chapter one, that's exciting, right? Oh, that's exciting, man, I think I've made the uh, recording clip on that thing. All right, it's a book of James, but one more time, hopefully, in chapter one, you had to think about that, didn't you? That's right. And uh, let's take a look at the context there, book of James, chapter one, and uh, Lord willing, hopefully next week, chapter two, yes, it's exciting. And, uh, but let's go ahead and grab the context there. He says, uh, verse 22 says, do not merely listen to the word, but what? So you don't deceive yourselves, you need to do what it says. Why? Because anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, he's like a man who looks at his face in the mirror, and after looking at himself, he goes away, he immediately forgets what he looks like, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law, that gives freedom, not bondage, and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be what? blessed in what he does now if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue hey guess what you deceive yourself as well and your religion is worthless verse 27 religion that our god uh, our father accepts as pure and faultless it's this here it is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by what by the world okay and what we're seeing again is the book of james is an acid test a big giant acid test for who is a true Christian, who's a fake Christian, is to get out into the world finally. And we saw that uh, we got several different ones we've already hit so far. And uh, we're going to recap there real quick. But the first one is what? How do you handle trials, okay? And if you sit there and you go through a hard time, but then you get mad at God, shake a fist at God, if you will, walk away from God and say, I become an atheist, what's the Bible say? You failed the test. You weren't a Christian that lost your salvation you never had in the first place, okay? God keeps his own. You don't do that. And uh, so that's the issue. Trials. How do you handle trials? The second one is how do you handle what? Temptations. In other words, what's your attitude towards sin? Do you blame other people for your sin? And do you even get to the point where you actually would blame God? It's your fault. You made me this way. People say that today, you know, believe it or not. Uh, what's the scripture say about that? You failed the test. Excuse me, Christians, we're not perfect. We still sin, but we own up to our sin. If you say, First John says, if you have no sin, you're what? You're a liar and the truth is not in you, okay? You deal with sin. Praise God, we have a place to deal with it at the cross and we can be forgiven, but you own up to sin. Why? Because when you're out in the world and you own up to sin, non-Christians see that, they get the message that, oh, if I'm going to become a Christian, if I'm going to go to heaven, I got to own up to sin too. It's at the bare bones of salvation. And number two, it gives a, uh, when you own up to sin uh, and you take sin seriously, it's a good commercial, as we saw, the first fruits of the world to come that is without sin. Okay, we're being good commercials of the world uh, to come. But then we've been seeing that the third one is, all right, how do you handle God's word? Okay, and we saw there so far some of the acid tests that James brings out there. A true Christian's attitude towards the word of God is you are a good sponge of God's word. Well, first of all, you're a good listener. Okay, you just can't wait to get into God's word. You're a good sponge of God's word. You're a good follower of God's word. You're a good channeler of God's word. And then last time we saw, you're a good reflection 
of God's word. And that's where we saw the analogy with the mirror. And of course, the mirror that is exposing what you are uh, doing, looking like spiritually is the word of God. Okay, and we saw the dichotomy of two peoples in that passage there. And the first one was the fake Christian. The fake Christian looks into the mirror of God's law, the Bible, okay, sits there in the sermon or the study or even when they open it up themselves. They look at it. God's mirror points to them. Hey, you got sin. You got a booger, so to speak, on your face. Get that off. Are you really going to go out in the world looking like that? And he says the fake Christian does the abnormal response. Who cares? Booger, smooger. And they just walk away like it's no big deal. What's for lunch? Right? That's abnormal. Right? Who of you guys this morning checked your face in the mirror? And you had a booger and you got it off. Raise your hand. You really had a booger this morning? It scared you. Okay, praise God. The normal response is what do you do? You scrape that baby off, right? You get that thing off there. And that's what he says there. True Christians, when you look into the mirror of God's law, when he exposes your sin, what do you do? Get rid of it. And he says there, and you're blessed in all that you do. Why? Because this is the law of freedom, not the law of bondage, James says there. Okay, but a fake Christian, you look at it, God points it out, no big deal. Something's wrong there. You literally went away and forgot exactly what God exposed to you, like it's no big deal. Okay, but not only with a, if you will, sin or a booger, a sinful booger or earwax on your head. Okay, we saw also what comes out of your mouth. Okay, and he said that there in verse 26, if anybody considers himself religious, are you a true born again Christian? And yet you say that. But you can't keep a tight rein on your tongue. He says, you deceive yourself and your religion is worthless. Now, we saw there what's going on there, the tight rein. He's saying that for the true Christian, there's a, it's a word for bridle, a horse's bridle. You got it under control. At least there's some form of restraint. As we saw, we, sometimes we can insert foot into mouth as a Christian. Doesn't mean we always say the perfect thing. But by and large, sometimes when you're squeezed with the things of life and, and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, typically what comes forth is the word of God. Why? Because in the context, you're a good listener, a good sponge, a good follower, a good channeler, and a good reflection. So when you ingest the word of God, you get squeezed, out comes the word of God. Right? That's what you would expect from a Christian. But if you sit there and get squeezed and out of your mouth comes just a bunch of barf and there is no restraint. James is saying, listen, man, you deceive yourself. Your religion is worthless. Something's wrong. Right? Not saying we're perfect, but something's wrong. Because we we talked about this again last week. You know, you're tempted sometimes as a Christian to say something wrong when somebody says or does something to you. But what happens is uh, uh, there's there's that tight restraint. That's what the Greek says. uh, uh, Right? But the non-Christian is just... No restraint ever. He's saying something is wrong, okay? But as we're going to see, James not only says you can spot a fake Christian by the sinful boogers on their faith and the sinful maggots coming out of their mouth. Now he talks about, oh, by the way, you could also uh, see that by the coldness of their heart. And that's what we see in verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. How do you want to know if this guy's the real deal? Well, he says right here, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, the Greek literally says this, religion which is pure and undefiled in the sight of God. Now, that's the issue, isn't it? It's not in the sight of man to try to impress somebody else or what you think is what is right or what you think makes and constitutes for a Christian. The whole point is in the sight of God. If you want somebody that you fall in line with, it's him. He's the determinative factor, okay? But in sight of God, even the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their affliction, listen, with a view to ascertaining their needs and supplying them and to be keeping, ongoing, to be keeping oneself unspotted from the world, okay? So now we see James flips it around on the positive side. We've been looking at all the negative things. Somebody says they're Christian, but they don't do this. Somebody says they're Christian, but they don't do this. Now he's going to give us two positive signs of how you know somebody, by and large, should be a Christian. Okay? That they are the real deal. And the first thing he says is, this person is going to have a warm heart, okay, to the needy. A warm heart to the needy. Okay? In other words, if you flip it around, if you have a cold heart towards the needy, red flag, red flag, something's wrong. But the first sign to indicate that your profession of faith as a Christian is real, is you naturally have a warm heart towards the needy. And that's what he says. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. Now pay attention to those words there. Pure and faultless. 
right? That God accepts as pure. Your profession is pure. Your profession. I am a true born again Christian. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. How do we know that's pure? How do we know it's faultless? Well, he tells us this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. You don't just say you're a Christian. It begins to show in your actions, not only your behavior, but also on how you treat other people, certainly people who are in need. Now, the word there, pure, is katharos, and it means to be free from every admixture of what is false, sincere, genuine, blameless. I mean, there's nothing you can point at this guy and say, oh, no, you're fake. No, you're fake. No, this guy, this is pure. This is a pure profession. This, you, you shouldn't even question this guy. The other word there, faultless, is amiantos, and it means unsoiled, free from that by which the nature of a thing is deformed or debased. This guy is absolutely, no questions, you can't bring a charge to this guy. We know for sure this guy is the real deal, not only in the context, don't pull this out and just take this one thing. Well, if we find somebody who has a concern for widows and orphans, they've got to be a Christian. No, you've got to keep it in the context what we'll be seeing. A good listener of God's word, follower of God's word, they don't deny God, they're in trials, they take sin serious, and they have a great attitude towards God's word, they're a channel, they follow it, they reflect it. Now you come to this. It's like the icing on the cake. This guy, real deal. Right? That's what he's talking about. To look after orphans and widows in this distress. Now, the, the word there, look after, I think is pivotal. Because it tells us this is no casual interest in these people's needs. Okay, uh, it's a, a pisceptomai, and it means to look upon or after, to inspect, to examine with the eyes in order to see how he is, to visit in order to help or to benefit. So this guy doesn't just have some casual interest in the needs of the orphans or the widows. This guy, he visits them. This guy gets personally involved. He takes it serious. Okay, this isn't one of those things, well, you know, one of these days I should have, would have, could have. Well, this guy is going to town. In fact, the Greek says that with a view to ascertaining their needs and supplying them. Not just saying, yeah, you know, I did some research and those guys really could use some help. Hey, what time does the game come on later? No, it's th- these guys, this is really what they could use and we could r- work with it. Now, let's develop a plan to make it, make it happen. That's what he's saying there. This guy does not pat these people on the back. He examines their condition. He looks after it intently, making sure it gets done. Why? Because these guys are in there in uh, distress. Okay, it's not just widows and orphans in general. It's specifically widows and orphans that are in distress. Thelipsis, that means pressing oppression, affliction, or tribulations. So James says, listen, you can know this guy is, listen, he's a real deal. Yeah, he's already made it through the trials. He's already made it through the temptations. He's got a great attitude, great behavior towards that. He's got a great attitude towards the word of God. He's sucking it up. He's eating it up. He's a good channel. He's a sponge. He's not telling God, I don't like that. I don't want to hear that. None of that stuff. He's got this great attitude. And he says, oh, and this guy, icing on the cake, you know for sure this guy is the real deal. When he is absolutely has he a warm heart specifically to the widows and the orphans who are oppressed and afflicted and he's doing something about it now is that really a big shock for a christian i mean you really think about it i don't think so and i think we're going to go into a little bit even deeper i would say of course not because it reflects god's character right like father like son we say that we're a child of god so we should reflect the father be ye holy as i'm holy so it's no big deal so if god has a concern for them we should too no big deal right but you look at the church today and it isn't that way. So what does that tell you? Something isn't pure, something isn't faultless. There's a lot of people say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But you could give a rip about the needs of others. Something ain't right. Something isn't right. Okay, here's what he says. Orphans and widows, those who are really dependent on the kindness of others. Right? Orphans, just so you know, back in the day, wasn't at all like today. Okay, a lot of them just lived on the streets. They didn't have all these uh, uh, governmental institutions that funded uh, orphans to be adopted out and things of that nature like we have today. Not saying that even that system's perfect. I don't think so. Uh, but still, it was just, you're on your own. You're living on the streets, right? That's it. Can you imagine? I'm just, I just think of my own son, Billy, and, and 10 years old, living on the streets. What do you, and that's just the way it was. They had orphans, right? Widows, it wasn't at all uh, like today. They didn't have social security, right? In fact, you read one of the parables of the lady who lost her coin, do you guys understand the Jewish culture? Basically, that was the lady's dowry. That was her life insurance policy in case something happened to her husband. She had 10 coins there, okay? And she'd tuck them up into her hair. That was kind of like their purse back in the day. That's what's going on in the Jewish culture, if you guys recall that parable, okay? And she lost one of the coins. You think, and if you ever read that passage, you go, 
and, and she swept the house and she's looking all over for it. And then she finds her coin and then she calls in her friends going, oh, I found my coin, found my coin. And we're looking like, like so what? You got lost a quarter. Woo. It's not what's at all going on. She literally lost one-tenth of her retirement. And that's what the ladies did. That was their protective measure. In case the husband, the breadwinner, or that's why it was sons who could take care of their mother. Uh, if you lost your husband and your sons, you had some cash stuck away to take care of your needs because they didn't have like, like what we have today, right? And so when he's saying you got to take care of these people, these people are really dependent. It's not even at all a picture like we have today. These people are absolutely dependent on the kindness of other people. And surely the Christians should step in for that, right? Well, you would think, okay? And believe it or not, this is a big deal because again, this reflects the character of God. In fact, I've been in the book of Job uh, uh, for a while now in my morning devotions and I just happened to come across this passage and of course his three tormentors, I mean comforters, uh, are going at it, accusing him of sin, doing all this right stuff. And Job, he begins to make an appeal like, excuse me, you're going to say there's some secret sin or whatever? And listen to what he appeals to. He doesn't say, why, I've been to the synagogue every single week. I serve on the board of the synagogue or I serve on, you know, some religious thing. No, listen to what he appeals to that, listen, I'm a righteous man. Listen to what he says, Job 29. He says, I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist them. The man who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. Job 31, uh, if, if I've denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I've kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, but from my youth, I have reared him as I would a father. And from my birth, I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or a needy man without a garment or his heart did not bless me for warming him with the fleece from my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court, then let my arm fall from the shoulder, let it be broken off to the joint. Then you can accuse me of being unrighteous. But notice what he appeals to. Excuse me? I busted my back. What's, what's the Greek? What, what did James say? I took it serious with the view of ascertaining to their needs and I supplied them. To the widows, to the orphans, the fatherless, and other people who are dependent on the kindness of others. Okay, and that's why James says, listen, religion, you, want to, you want to prove it to God? Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So again, flip it around. If you're sitting there on the one hand saying, oh, I'm a Christian, 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 and you could literally give a rip about people. I don't know about you, but man, uh, one of the benefits apparently from the cookie runs is not only new members get, uh, or people who visit here and or both, uh, you get free cookies, but I got to drive all over Las Vegas to deliver them critters, right? Well, in driving all over Las Vegas, guess what? You start to see the places that they don't show you on the brochures. And these people are living in the ditches and makeshift tents and it doesn't touch your heart? You have no desire to develop a plan to do anything, to reach out to them, to anything? Something's wrong, okay? And this is why James says this elsewhere. We're going to advance a little bit to chapter 2. That's right, Bob. You're right. He says this, chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. What use is it, my brethren, if somebody says he's got faith, but he's got no works? Can such a faith save him? Answer, No. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace and be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give him what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, right? And he goes on, he says, but you, someone will say, well, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, I'll show you I'm the real deal. I don't just sit there and say I'm a Christian, I demonstrate it. Now, we know that we're not saved by our works. We are saved by faith. But James is not contradicting anything. He's saying the test of a true faith, and that's the whole theme of this book. Acid test, acid test. The test of a true faith is whether or not it demonstrates in a changed life. I didn't say perfect life, but is there a changed life? When you go through trials, do you still bless God's name? Do you still have that continual joy? When you go through temptation, do you own up to your sin? Do you realize that sin is serious? I don't want to be a bad commercial for Jesus. I don't want to give people an idea that, yeah, the world to come is going to be no better than this one. When you come to the Word of God, what's your attitude? Do you listen to it? Do you soak it up, etc.? Well, that's a sign that, listen, you've got a changed heart. Your profession of faith is being shown by your works, by your life. 
It's changed. Because how can you stay the same by nature of being a born-again Christian? You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And guess what He starts to do? He changes you from the inside out. I didn't say perfect. I didn't say overnight. But if you're really indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you don't stay where you are. Anybody glad? Anybody glad that you're not in the same position the day you got saved? Praise God, right? It's been quite the journey, but praise God. You know? And how many guys go through this? You, go, you, sit, you get to that point where you think you, you've arrived as a Christian. Man, I'm so cool. I'm so happening. It's been 19 seconds since I got saved. I'm so holy, right? And then what's God do? <laughs> really? And you uh, you know, right? And so, but even now today, you look back and you go, six months ago, man, I thought I was doing pretty good. But praise God, God kept chipping away at me. Praise God, His Holy Spirit continued to convict me. Praise God, He doesn't leave me alone. And He keeps shaving off those rough edges. And man, this is stupid. I can't believe I would think that I was happening six months ago. And guess what? It's the same attitude for today. And as long as you're alive, He'll keep chipping at you. But you should, something should change. And that's what James is saying. Listen, I'll show you like Job that I'm a real Christian, not just by my words, but by what I do. I will reflect God's character. And one of His characters, He's concerned about the needy. Right? Now, you look at the church today, and what do you see? By and large, across America. Let me expand it out so we'll feel better. (laughs) Now, you don't see that often, right? What's the old axiom? We've already seen this before, okay? You want to talk about doing something, making a difference, which would include even helping the needy and stuff like that? What's it we saw before? 20% of the people in the church do what? 100% of the work, while what? 80% 80% of the people do squatticus in the southern Greek. Nothing. Right? Wait a second. Why is that? How can you be a born-again Christian and not do anything? Let alone, right? Did you see that? I saw that too. That's like, my notes, I've been here in chapter one so long that dust is coming out of here. Look at that. Can we get that on video? Dude, what's up with that? This is wild. I got to get into the... All right, let's get to chapter... Two, and hurry up, get some fresh paper. Isn't that hilarious? Was that what that was? Hopefully it comes out on the video. That was awesome. Let's get out of chapter one, man. We're getting crusty. But anyway, but here's the point, okay? But I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, we talked about that before, and I don't have time to belabor that point. But uh, I think uh, maybe the reason why 20% of the people do 100% of the work and 80% of people do nothing, I don't know the heart, but God does. But according to the book of James, maybe it's because you're not saved. Oh, you're going to a church service, all right. Oh, you might have got dunked in water. You might even be serving a book. You might even be behind the pulpit. Doesn't make you born again. Just sitting there saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And you sit there and you do nothing and you could care about the needs of others around you. Something is wrong. James says, you are deceived and your religion is worthless. It's not right. I mean, this is one of my most gut-wrenching stories I've had on this. This is what happens when we continue to not have a heart that reflects God's character for the needy. True story. This guy says this. I don't know if I shared this with you guys before. This guy shares he, he was uh, ministering to the orphan kids in Haiti. And he says this. He says, we put an extension onto the school and the orphanage a few years ago uh, to handle extreme cases. And we we're going to bring in a doctor with vitamin pills, with extra food. And we we're going to take these kids that belong to nobody and just gather them up. They slept in doorways and they were on the verge of death and they probably would be dead in five or six months if they didn't receive instant and immediate care. So we were going to gather them up and bring them to this extension on the orphanage that we had built and care for them and nurse them back to hell. Well, the day came for us to pick them up and I went with my associate in a bus and drove up to the place where these children were to be assembled. And we we thought there were about 50 of them in the community. But when we got there, there were 350 of these kids. 300 of these kids that belong to nobody with their swelled stomachs, their emaciated bodies, their black hair having turned rust-colored from malnutrition, 300 of them, we only had room for 50. He says, you know what I had to do? He says, you know what I had to do? I had to stand there, people, and out of that 300, I had to pick 50 to live. And he says, you can't pick 50 to live without simultaneously choosing 250 to die. He says, and I did what I had to do, and we loaded those 50 kids on that bus, and I stayed behind with the other 200, 
or so. And I tried to cheer him up and I tried to talk to him and I tried to get them to sing some songs. And he says, and foolishly, I got them to sing this gospel song. I didn't realize what I was getting them to sing. And, and they were singing before I realized this little gospel chorus, God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good. To me. He says, and I went into the second stanza. He loves me so. These dying kids with their swelled stomachs and their falling out hair and their emaciated bodies singing, He loves me so. He loves me so. God is so good to me. He says, and as they were singing that, something inside of me screamed. And I says, God, you are not good. You don't care or this would not be happening. He says, and as sure as I'm here, I sense God speak to me in the depths of my being. And then he said, I am good and I do care. And you know why this is happening. And he says, I had to admit, I know why. I knew why. God, in his care and his love, has given to the church the resources to respond to the needs of the world. And if the world is in need, and if in fact the church is not responding to those needs, then it's only because the church of Jesus Christ is not as faithful as it should be. We're doing a lot, but we're not doing near what we could because God has called us to be the instruments that responds to the poor and the oppressed. And you could sit there and you could hear something like that. And it's like, yeah, that's bad. Hmm. What time did you say the game starts? Dude, where are you going for lunch today? James would say, excuse me? You got a cold heart towards the needy. Something is horribly, horribly wrong. Your religion is worthless. You do not reflect the character of God. I don't care what you say. Something is telling me your religion is worthless. You're fake. Okay, but that's not all. Uh, let's continue on. He says now the second profession of faith that you can know is pure. It's faultless. This is the real deal. This guy not only has a warm heart uh, towards uh, the needy, but listen, he's got a pure heart. This is the back end of it. A pure heart, okay, from the world. Okay, this is key, especially today what you see what's going on in the church. And, you know, he has this warm heart towards the needy. And he's going to town. He's figuring out a plan to supply that need. This guy also works to keep oneself, in the Greek it's ongoing, to keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. And again, this guy's serious. The word there, keep, is tereo, and it means to attend to carefully. There's nothing casual about this. This guy takes this thing serious. To keep, uh, uh, attend carefully, to guard, to keep from. From what? From being polluted. Okay, it's the Greek word aspalos. It means spotless. Free from vice. He is unstained. So James says, listen, the true Christian, you know this guy's profession, is on the mark, no need to question, is pure, is flawless. Listen, he not only cares about the needy, but listen, neither is he worldly. Oh, he's in the world. He's just not of this world. He knows this world is a world full of sin, governed by the little g, Satan, and he doesn't play in his playground. He doesn't want to reflect that world. He's a Christian who's reflecting the world to come and God's holy character, okay? He knows this world is full of sin and this guy makes it his mission to stay away from it. Oh, he's in there. He's being a good witness and he's witnessing to the lost, but he's not joining with the lost in what they do. This guy is guarding himself from that. This guy keeps himself from that. This guy is spotless. He is unstained. You look at him and you don't see no world on this guy. Right? And dare I say, you don't see any world coming out of this guy. He doesn't look like the world. He doesn't act like the world. He doesn't speak like the world. And yet, what are we being told today? How are we supposed to reach our culture? Here's what you need to do. Gut your church of anything that has to do with godly substance that might actually convict people from the word of God. And then if you want to have a great preacher, then make sure he does what? He looks like the world. He acts like the world. Speaks like the world. Your music's like the world. Everything's like the world to make the world feel comfortable. And James would say, What? What are you talking about? This is crazy. You were supposed to keep yourself unspotted from that. You're messing up the church. The church is to be a beautiful, blameless bride with spotless clothing. Ladies, when you get married, there's symbolism in the white dress. Did you know that? You're pure. And we're the bride of Christ. And when people come into us, we don't start slapping stains on our dress, so to speak, just so the world who's full of stains can go, I feel comfortable now. They're supposed to come in here and feel convicted of sin. 
by us just living holy lives and preaching the holy word of God. But now it's completely flipped around. This guy guards himself in the world. He keeps himself in the world. He doesn't reflect this world. He, uh, uh, he reflects God. He carefully examines his way. He makes sure that he does not get sucked into this wicked world system. And so you flip it around. Listen, if you could give a rip. Oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But you can give a rip about loving this world, living like the world, acting like the world, thinking like the world. Something's wrong. Something is horribly wrong. If your modus of operandi is this, something is not right. Okay? Our so-called American way of life, notice it's not God's way of life, is, to, is based upon people who are ready to spend money they don't have, to buy things they don't need, to impress people they don't know, who in the end are people who don't even care. Now, to make that happen, we run the rat race to get the money to buy all these things that nobody needs. And in the process, we beat each other up. We step over the oppressed. We look like the world. We act like the world. We live like the world. We sin like the world. We party like the world, acting like there's no tomorrow, tiptoeing through life. Hopefully, we can just arrive at death safely. Woo! Now, can I tell you something? I think I just described that 80% of people who go to church services. Right? You punch in your religious time clock. When you leave here, it's world time, world time. That's all that's on your mind. World this, world that. Got to do this, got to do that. World, 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 world. Something isn't right. Now, do we Christians ever get sucked into worldly things? Yes. So does that mean if we've ever done that? We're not, no, I'm not saying that. But what is the pattern of your life? What is your modus of operandus? Oh, we can get sucked in. We know Christians, we can get sidetracked at times. But the Holy Spirit, he brings you back, doesn't he? Eventually, sometimes we can be stubborn. Sometimes we resist him, but he brings you back. So if you could really give a rip about just being a creature of this world, what, what's going on? And that's what James is saying. And again, listen, this is what he says. Again, we're going to, here's a new word. Chapter four. You only had two options, four or five. Okay, at chapter four. And this is what he says, if you can dream on 19 years when we get there. He says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you can't have what you uh, want. You quarrel and you fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you want on your pleasures. It's all about you. Get out there, buy this stuff. I got to have this, got to have it now. I got to look like this, got to act like this. I got to run the rat race. I got to have this and this and that. Compete with that and get this and I can outdo you and that and this and that and whatever he says you're not going to get that i'm not going to give that to you excuse me and he says don't you realize when you live like that as a christian excuse that's all i saved you for was to go back into the world are you nuts no he says listen to this you adulterous people don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards god anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of god and so james is saying listen i'll show you that i am got a pure and faultless profession of faith here listen i'm not only making through my child still not shaking a fist at god i'm in love with god and i've got his joy inside of me supernaturally i'm taking sin serious and i'm taking the way i live this life serious too hopefully without sin so i can be that godly commercial and i'm taking listen god's word serious i love his word i want his word i'm soaking it up i'm eating it up but you know what i'm also concerned about the needy and you know what i hate this world i don't know about you but the longer i live the more I long for heaven. This place is a dump. Anybody tired of the sin of this baloney? Are you tired of getting stabbed in the back? Are you, get, are you tired of all the junk? Why then after that, like a dog returning to its vomit? Oh, yummy. I've been saved from this place. Why am I going back and acting like that's all there is? Oh, there's a little bit of Jesus at least once a week if it works out with my schedule and I'll punch in my time clock. But the rest of the week, let's go back to that vomit. <laughs> Actually, the, the Greek, I don't know if I shared this with you before. Have we ever talked about Skubalon? We've never talked about Skubalon? Oh, you talk about a fantastic study. When I first came across that, that was mind-blowing. Paul talks about uh, Skubalon in Philippians chapter 3. He says, but whatever was to my profit, verse 7 and 8, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that's Scubalon, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Okay, the word Scubalon there is literally the excrement of animals. 
The word there, Paul says, listen, I consider everything else compared to knowing Jesus Christ, to being a born-again Christian, a big old pile of dog doo-doo. See, we want to clean it up. Some translations say trash, rubbish. Oh, no, no. It's a pile of animal excrement. Doo-doo. It's kind of funny. Definitely gets you a picture in your mind. But let's flip it around. Here's the person sitting there, because this is what he's saying. Here's the per- and I, I think this is what James is saying too. Here's the person saying, oh, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Oh, there's nothing greater than knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I am so thankful that he died for me on the cross and that he's forgiven me of all my sins. Oh, I just can't wait to get to heaven. This is awesome. I said, what, 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 what? oh, hold on a second. <laughs> I need to go back in the backyard and play with my uh, pile of dog duty. That's it. You need me to help with those orphans and widows? No, dude, you don't understand. This is, look at the size of this thing. This is a big old pile. It's awesome. It's cool. It's, it's neat. Dude, if you, dude, this is, you know, in fact, I'm hoping to get some more. You know what I'm saying? I, I hope my whole backyard I can get full of this Scoobalon thing. You know what I'm saying? Scooby Dooby Doo. Well, he was a dog, but that's a whole other thing. I can't believe that. But he said, so this whole, this, all this pile and this and that. And can you imagine that? And then, what? Do you need help in the church? What? Do you need to witness? What? What? No. Hey, I got my collection of dog dude in the backyard. I love that. Now, what would you say about that person? Man, something ain't right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We need to pray for you. Lay hands on you. In a profound Christian way. Right? And, and oh, by the way, if you're going to do that, could, 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 you, could you not say that you're a Christian? Why? That's simple. Well, see, that's what, when we see, I don't think we get the sting of what's going on here. You sit there on the one hand, oh, I'm a Christian, 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 I'm a Christian. But when you live after this world, James is saying something isn't right because really what you're saying is I would prefer to hang out and live for and pile up dog duty and hang out with dog duty than Jesus. Something ain't right. And that's why he says, so this guy, common sense, is it really a shocker? Is it really a big surprise that this guy would, toreo, he would keep himself away from that behavior? He would guard himself from living like that? <laughs> is it really that big of a deal? Do you have to pray and fast 15 years and say, do I stay away from the excrement of uh, uh, dog stuff or uh, live for God? Is it really that difficult? No, and that's what he says. He says, listen, this guy, he wants nothing to do with this world. He does not want to give the impression that he would prefer that over God. He, listen, he is keeping oneself unspotted from the world. He is carefully guarding himself from any worldly vice. Because that not only leads to an insane life, it leads to a hellish life before you get to hell if you're not saved. I don't know about you guys, but I, I, all the time, I'm not saying this to brag or anything, but just by way of an example, me personally, what I've experienced, I not only saved God from saving me from hell, but here's my words. Thank you for saving me from a life of hell that was headed to hell. I did not like living this world. I didn't like doing, you know, running after the things. I tried all the things, whether it's the materialism or money or relationships or drugs or all that other stuff. I tried it all. I didn't like it. It leads to a hellish life before you even get to hell. Why as a born-again Christian would you go back into that? I'll share with this. E. Stanley Jones, he talks about this fictional person who lived out this fantasy life. And all he had to do was just think of it and poof, he had it. Now, isn't that the dream of most people today? Even in the church. Oh, life would be great if I only had enough money. You know, if I just had a little bit more money, then everything's going to be fine. Just with money. If I just had money, if I could just have the ability to just whatever I need, whenever I want, whatever, then life would be awesome. Really? And he says this. He says, so this man, in a moment of time, he sticks his hands into his pockets. He's leaning back and he imagines himself a mansion. And poof, there it was. A 15-bedroom uh, mansion. Three stories with servants instantly available to wait upon his every need. So he thought, well, why? hey, a place like this, Joey needs to find uh, several cars, a bunch of them, right? So again, he closed his eyes and he imagines a driveway full of the finest wheels that money can buy him. Poof, there they were. There's several of the best vehicles instantly brought before his eyes. He's, he's free to drive them himself or sit back in the limousine with a, a mafia gra- a glass wrapped around the rear of the car, a chauffeur to drive him wherever he wishes. 
But soon there's no other place to travel. And so he comes back home and he wishes for this sumptuous meal. And poof, there it is. There's this meal right in front of him with all of its mouth-watering aromas and beauty. And it was not chicken. And, but he eats the meal alone. And yet there was something more he needed to find. Happiness. And finally he grows so terribly bored and unchallenged that he whispers to one of his attendants. He says this, I want to get out of this. I want to create some things again. I'd rather be in hell than in here. To which one of his servants replied quietly, where do you think you are? And yet, we think that's the answer to everything. That's the way of the world. In comparing to knowing Jesus Christ and walking with him intimately before you even get to heaven, let alone getting to heaven, that's a pile of dog doo-doo. That's a big thing to scuba on. Why in the world would you choose that? It's crazy. This is why God says, listen, you are acting like, what do he say there? Acting like his enemy. When you love this world, when you live after this world, what? You're acting like his enemy and you're acting like you hate him. How could you prefer that over God? You say on the one hand, oh, I love God, I love God, I look forward to heaven. But day after day, you live for this world, which leads to hell. And so James says this, listen, when you have an unpure heart towards this world that does not keep yourself spotted from this world, James is saying something is horribly wrong. Something is not right. Your religion is worthless. You're not reflecting the character of God. You're saying, I love Jesus, but give me this big old pile of scuba on. You, as he would say, are deceiving yourself. The natural response, unspotted, defiled, free from that, is if you came across a pile of dog stuff. And let's say you weren't paying attention and you stepped in it. What would you do? You'd get it off. You'd make sure that there wasn't even a spot left on there. Right? What would the abnormal response be? Man, that's the 19th pile I've stepped in today. But oh well, hey, what time does church services start? Why am I always having to sit alone? Why doesn't anybody want to be around me? Why don't I have any intimacy in my walk with Jesus? What's that smell? This guy, it's common sense. Listen, I not only have joy in the midst of my trials, I not only take sin seriously, I not only love God's word, but you know what? I'm seriously concerned about the folks around me who need my help. That God has given me the ability to do that. And you know what? I don't like this world. I'm living for the world to come. I love that world, not this one. James would say, your profession, your religion, that's pure. That's faultless. You're the real deal. But if you don't live like that, bare bones minimum, I don't know the heart, but something is horribly wrong. You're either a Christian who's in a spiritual ditch, and I hope and pray that the Holy Spirit will get you back on track to the narrow road which leads to life, off the broad road that leads to destruction. Or maybe it's because you're really not born again. Isn't this wild? This is the first book, as far as we know, out to the early church as they're finally getting dispersed into the world. James writes this, and he's starting to draw a distinction of make sure you're real, make sure you're real, make sure you're real. Why? Because when you're out there in the world professing to be a Christian, God wants the real deal. Tell them about the real Jesus and the real gospel. Makes total perfect sense, doesn't it? All right, but that's right, Lord willing. Next week, chapter... Two, yay! It's exciting, unless the rapture occurs, but uh, that could happen. And uh, but then we're going to see another new set of acid tests. We've already seen with trials, temptations. How do you handle God's word? Now we're going to get to the point. Well, well, gee whiz, how do you handle everybody's favorite? Those other people. Isn't that awesome? Anybody ever have a, a employment where uh, you had a, a customer service? You had to work with people. Yeah, been there, done that. That's a test of your faith, isn't it? Yeah. Well, believe it or not, James is going to deal with that. How we start to treat other people. What's our attitude towards them? Even when they come into church services. How you react, believe it or not, is going to tell whether or not uh, you're failing the, the acid test. Okay? Let's go ahead and let's pray. Well, hi. This is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. 
the Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. 
Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.